Welcome to Extraordinary People, the podcast that highlights people who inspire others, have made significant contributions to the world, or who have overcome adversity. This show is hosted by Shirley Bogtel, author, educator, wife, mother, and grandparent. Learn more and subscribe today at ShirleyWachtel.com. And now, here's my grandma, Shirley Wachtel. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Extraordinary People. Today, I am so pleased to welcome a very good friend of mine, Gertrude Coleman, Gert, um, to the broadcast. And uh, Gert is a friend that I know through uh, Middlesex, now Middlesex College. And uh, we've worked together and she's uh, received many, many accolades as a professor. But to many others, she's known as the herb lady, the garden lady. And this is a talent that for a long time, I've always been so in awe of. And I think during the difficult times that we've uh, been experiencing um, with the pandemic and the crises that we're facing uh, in the country, uh, hopefully by the time you hear this, it won't, things won't be quite as bad. Um, but I think um, Gerd has a lot to offer us in the way of seeking solace through nature and just for anybody who who wants a, a really enriching diversion, I think. So um, Gert is uh, passionate about herbs. She loves, grows, eats, and reads avidly about them. As I mentioned, she's a retired associate professor of English at the college, at Middlesex College in New Jersey. And she currently lives in Middlefield, New York, and uh, where she and her husband are fixing up an old house for a while now. And yes. she, she edits the uh, IHA Herb of the Year books. Um, there are many, and I've, uh, she's actually asked me to contribute a few of my poems, which I was happy to do. And uh, she's also been three times president of the Staten Island Herb Society. She helped to maintain the Colonial Herb Garden at Conference House Park for over 30 years and has started herb gardens at various locations. As a naturalist, she developed and taught parent-taught nature programs at the Staten Island Zoo and local parks, introducing children and adults to local plants, animals, and geology. In addition, she completed a medicinal herbal apprenticeship with internationally acclaimed herbalist Rosemary Gladstar. Gert is also a member on the board of the International Herb Association. She co-chairs the IHA Horticultural Committee. She's a member of the Herb Society of America um, and other such groups. And she frequently lectures on various aspects of herbs and teaches workshops on nature writing. Um, and might I also add that when um, I'm always trying to start a garden and herb is my, uh, Gert is my go-to person uh, whenever my plants are wilting. So Gert, welcome today. Oh, hi, Shirley. I'm so delighted to be here with you. 
Um, now, uh, we know each other through um, our teaching, and um, we've conferred many times regarding our students, but uh, today's conversation is going to be about your, um, your passion, um, which is gardening and herbs. And so I'd like to begin by how um, somebody who's, I'm not sure, but I, I know you lived on Staten Island for many years. Are you originally from Staten Island? No, I'm originally from Long Island. I've kind of oh, always well. lived on an island until recently. Um, okay. I, I was originally from Long Island, um, um, about halfway out. And um, when I got married, I moved to Staten Island. We thought it was going to be temporary, but we wound up living there for over 40 years, you know, and making our lives there. Okay, but Long Island, Staten Island, um, pretty city pretty city girl here, <laughs> city That's type indeed. things. So how does a city girl get interested in gardening? Well, my parents both gardened. Um, my mother uh, loved flowers and plants and my father loved growing food. And he was also a nurse. So he was interested in the medicinal side of plants. So um, even as a child, I grew up being aware of plants, knowing plants, loving roses, wanting flowers too, um, but also knowing that medicine could be your ally in times of, of stress and so forth. Um, and historically, you know, uh, and even today, 80% of our medicines around the world are still botanicals, you know, so we depend more heavily on plants than we realize, you know. So I grew up with that. And then, um, when I was home with my first child, I decided I needed a hobby. And, the, and what I decided was that I would I would have a little herb garden. And um, that was 40 years ago. And at the time, there was one book in the library on herbs and it was hard to get, you know, so I was really kind of a pioneer. Now there are hundreds of books and Internet sites and there's lots of information, uh, particularly this year, I think, as people are turning to nature and gardens for solace and all sorts of things. OK, so um, uh, when you when you first got got started, like what kind of things did you grow? Like what would you recommend for somebody uh, looking to get started um, in gardening and just has maybe a little plot of land or even, even a couple of pots of soil in the house? Um, yeah. The, the first thing is look at what you've got and, and assess your sunshine. Um, if you're going to grow herbs or um, vegetables uh, or most flowers, you need a good six to eight hours full sun. Um, so be aware of what kind of sunshine you have, how much shade do you get from your buildings and your trees. Um, and even if you only have a deck or, um, you know, a stoop that you can put a few pots on, you can really grow quite a few things um, if you give it, you know, if you give it attention and water and pay attention to it. Um, to get started, if you wanted an herb garden, I would think what kind of herbs do you actually like? Um, originally, people had their herb gardens near the kitchen so that the um, uh, the cooks and the madam of the house could just walk out in their slippers, pick up the herbs they wanted and bring them back. They didn't have to go out into the fields and put boots on or anything like that. So it should be as close to the house, you know, as, as you can get, um, because if it's too far away, you might grow it, but you might not use it, you know. But I would start with things that you might use in the house, like parsley 
and chives, maybe some dill or rosemary. Uh, basil is very, very popular on Staten Island. There's a huge Italian population, and uh, the, the garden centers just have it all year long. Um, you can start things from seeds, but if that's too much work, you can just buy the starts um, at garden centers and um, you know put them in a nice, pretty pot and just remember to water it. That would be a good start. Okay. So I know when when um, I tried to restart a garden, we, we had a little more room for it um, this year, and um, we put out a space for it. And one of the problems that I had is I think I put too many plants <laughs> in, you know, and they kind of choked each Crap. other and uh, got a lot of weeds. So um, in your experience, what are some of the mistakes that people make and how can we avoid those mistakes? Well, you mentioned two right there. So one of them is crowding plants. Although many victory gardens suggest that we, we put them in as closely as possible. Um, but they could, they, I mean, they really should be six to 12 inches apart, sometimes 18. Um, when you buy those little babies at the, you know, baby plants at the garden center, um, I always tell people, you know, cats don't stay kittens, you know, and dogs don't stay puppies. These things are going to get big. So you need to remember to like maybe think three times as big um, and give them that space. Um, the other one is getting the weeds out. Uh, and I have to say, this is the, this year with our lockdowns and self-isolating, uh, I had the most weed-free garden I've ever had because I was home and I was diligent and I was on it, you know. Um, sometimes we're traveling and we go away for a month and then the weeds uh, take over. Um, Part of that, too, is knowing what's a weed and what's a plant. Um, you know, you have to you need a couple of years in the garden to recognize certain weeds. I once thought I had chrysanthemums growing in in the um, in a yard. And of course, it wasn't. It was mugwort. And uh, that's a pretty noxious weed that is hard to get rid of. Um, so you have to sort of learn your weeds as well as your plants. Um, also, watering makes sure that you have a source of water. Um, and the ability to water. You don't want to overwater plants because you can drown them and they'll turn yellow, but you don't want to deprive them too much. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a difference between the plants um, in the house and outside. And um, contain, if you're growing things in containers, um, ceramic containers are going to dry out faster than plastic containers, you know. So you just have to kind of watch it and see. And then when you get those days in July where it's 90 degrees for a week and a half, the plants need extra water just as we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned, you know, well, even you had a problem recognizing something that was a weed. Um, what might be a good resource for people like me <laughs> to go to <laughs> that might have, you know, pictures of of uh, the different plants and what's a weed and what's not so we can we can um, grow a healthy garden? Right. There's, there are lots of books. The Peterson Guide to Flowers or Weeds or Wildflowers. Um, those are all like kind of scientific, helpful books. Uh, one of them, uh, there's a group, group by Newcomb um, and they divide plants into colors so that if you have yellow flowers, you know whether it's a, a, oh, a wildflower that you might want or if it's mustard or something that maybe you don't want. Um, those are good places. But the local um, 
uh, state agencies and uh, master gardeners locally um, and uh, county extensions. They all have extensive websites uh, with those very things, with pictures of um, of the weeds in usually all their stages. Here's what they look like when they're coming up. Um, Queen Anne's Lace, you might think is parsley growing up, but it's not, you know, and it's a biennial that that I leave in my garden because it's pretty, but it could take over. So, you know, at, but that whole family has uh, is 95% wholesome and 5% of them are poisonous. So there's another reason you want to get to know what kind of weeds you have in your yard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, let's move indoors. Okay. Winter time, um, you know, we're stuck home and um, we want to get some plants in the house. Plants, I think, are becoming more popular. People are, mm-hmm. I, I think, more and more staying away from the artificial stuff. They want the natural mm-hmm. stuff. What are the um, positives of having plants in the house? And secondly, what there are some plants that are virtually unkillable. I know about those plants. <laughs> so um, what would you recommend, you know, for a hardy plant that really doesn't, uh, doesn't require too much attention? Okay, so why should we have plants in the house? Well, first of all, for the sheer beauty of it, the texture, the color, the beauty, depending on the plant, you know, just having fresh green leaves, um, uh, they give off uh, oxygen, so they're helping to cleanse the air and, and freshen that up for us. Um, some Getting a touch of nature indoors when you can't go out or you feel closed in um, is also very good for the soul and, and helps us to reconnect um, to a lot of things. So on those very, you know, for those very reasons, it's lovely to have plants. Again, you need a good sunny window. Um, you need to take care of the, the watering needs. Um, you don't want to put it like right right directly under an air conditioning vent um, in the summer, because just like us, we don't want to be, you know, having that blown on us all the time. So we have to kind of think about carefully positioning them. Um, Common house plants like the zebra plants and the philodendrons are pretty unkillable. Um, Those would be recommended. Um, African violets are beautiful, but they can be a kind of picky about their humidity and their light. So um, I would hold off on them if I was new at this. Um, a plant that I've had wonderful luck with is the bay tree. Um, we tend to think of bay as just that kind of khaki colored leaf that comes in a bottle that maybe we, st- we put in soups and stews and long cooking things. Um, but when that's fresh, it's a shiny leaf, kind of like a magnolia leaf. Um, it's shiny and beautiful and it's got hints of uh, lemon and licorice and vanilla in it that just make it absolutely stunning to uh, to use um, in, in in cooking, um, and it also repels insects. You know, so um, that's not another that's another good reason to maybe have some bay a bay tree in your house. And virtually, um, I've had I've had I bought it I got it one summer. I was looking for plants and I wanted this little. Oh, this little fence that somebody had, you could put um, plants in it. And it came with three plants and she didn't have many things. And I said, all right, I'll take a bay. I'll probably kill it. And that bay is now five feet tall um, and about mm-hmm. 20 years old. So um, when I say it's virtually unkillable, I would I would suggest a bay tree if you can find one. Um, mm-hmm. They're not a cheap plant. They're they're going to maybe cost you nine or ten dollars. Um, but that's because they're hard to um, they, they don't grow well from seed in the United States. Uh, they like the Mediterranean. So you really need somebody, a, a good grower who has uh, established it from a cutting. Mm-hmm. 
And what about, um, at what point would we need to change the pot for a plant? Well, what I learned about bay after it got so big was that the smaller the pot, the smaller the plant. So if you want to keep a plant small, because that's all the space you have, you need to cut it back, you know, once or twice a year um, and, you know, loosen the soil and maybe replenish the soil. If you want it to get big, if you have like a lovely foyer where you can have a bigger plant, um, once it starts to, once the roots start poking out or um, it doesn't seem to be accepting water easily or it just doesn't look right, um, you might want to take it out of the pot and take a look at the roots. And if they're all tight and circled around, um, then you need to kind of tickle them and loosen them um, and then look for a bigger pot, you know. Okay. Okay. So um, here's uh, one question that comes to mind. Um I love those, um, the beautiful um, orchid plants, the white, right? Mm -hmm. You see them all over the place, okay? Especially in the spring, you see them in in, um, supermarkets and just every place. And um, I've often gotten these plants as gifts and Mm -hmm. the last a few weeks and then Mm-hmm. You know, I try not to water them too much, and I just have not been having any luck. So um, what do you recommend? Now, are those the ones that that um, they come in like a, a clear box and um, there's not much soil and you can see the roots? Uh, I, yeah, I've, I've gotten both kinds. I've gotten both kinds. They're either white or purple. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, then there's I can't think of the name dendrobia uh, or something like that is their Latin name. I find them very very hard to grow and have killed them myself. Okay. Um, and, I'm relieved fact, now. <laughs> yes, yes. It, I I had gotten my son sent me one for Mother's Day not too many years ago, and I was like dismayed because it was almost like oh no, you've given me another plant I'm going to kill, um, and yet he and his girlfriend keep them alive beautifully. So again, there it is with you can't overwater them. They need a certain type of sun and humidity. And I don't always have, you know, what they need. And I think that's part of, of the the um, the adventures with plants is knowing which ones suit your soil, your location, your lifestyle, and which ones don't. And sometimes, of course, we want the ones that, you know, that we really shouldn't have, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, finding the right plant. Rosemary is a lovely plant that's very hard to grow. Um, it, it, when it comes, if you bring it in, um, it's used to a certain humidity and light pattern outside. And then in the house, you know, it, it often isn't getting that and it will just sort of languish and die. And um, after the holidays, the, um, after the Christmas holidays, they make a lot of them into trees and people give them to each other. And then within two or three weeks, you know, their history, um, it's just you have to just sort of get over the sense of failure that you killed this. They very often didn't get the care along the way, you know, and you're the one who just wound up with the, you know, the end product. Okay. One more question about the indoor plants. You mentioned oxygen circulates oxygen into the air. Mm -hmm. Um, So then would a bedroom be a prime place to uh, have one of the, have a plant like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Any room of the house, if you have a spot for it and some good light, um, I think is a good place for it. Um, 
the plants are transpiring and, and giving off oxygen. So as you're sleeping, you know, that that you and it are in a sort of symbiotic relationship of healing each other and, and using, you know, the, the pop, you know, the best way that you can of the air that you're given. Um, even bathrooms where there's humidity, sometimes uh, plants do well in there. Um, kitchens are often kind of crowded, but if you have a good sunny window, they can hang there nicely or sit in them um, and maybe be available for you as a cook. You know, it depends. But yes, a bedroom would be a wonderful place um, or even an office, you know, where you're working, you know, with the light from computers and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's some research that suggests that that might not be as good for us as, you know, as other natural light. So plants in there could kind of help clear that through too. Great. I'm staring at my spider plant right now as we speak in my office. So that's a good thing. And it's still alive. So we're, we're good. Um, so uh, you spoke about um two great things uh, regarding plants, and that's the beauty of them. And for for us, for our health, for nutrition, um, it, top plants for beauty would be what? Um, things that flower, I would think, or like your zebra plant, things that are variegated with stripes or color or interest. Um, it depends on really the kind of decor that you have. Sometimes a plain old green philodendron will look really nice next to um, a Christmas cactus that's flowering. Um, so those are the kinds of things you might consider, you know. Okay. And um, the next issue for our health, and I've been really lucky uh, to listen to you speak at a few of our uh, seminars and um, you've talked about the various uses for herbs and different kinds of plants. And could you um, enlighten us a little bit about that? Like what would be good for stomach issues, for head issues, et cetera? Because I think there are a lot of people out there who could who could benefit from uh, this. Yes, absolutely. Um, plants have been used medicinally um, as long as humans have been on this earth and many of the, the the herbs and spices that we're currently familiar with were used first as medicine and secondly as flavorings. Um, we've never been very good about eating properly, you know, and if you watch any, um, any kind of media, you know, there's always um, advertisements for stomach issues and, and uh, that sort of thing. Um, and in crisis, we tend not to be such good eaters also. So, um, and headaches and stress that we, that this, 2020 and 2021 have been giving us, um, I would start with uh, an easy one to buy as a tea, and that's chamomile. Um, it's good for a million things, but what it does first is calm and soothe. And so mm -hmm. um, if you're stressed out, um, one herbalist said it was good for babies of all ages. It's safe enough for little babies, um, as well as uh, crabby husbands or cranky children, mm -hmm you know, colleagues that are driving you nuts. Um, so chamomile is, it's a pretty little flower that grows low in the garden, likes full sun, and we use the flowers of it. And uh, it's good for headaches. It's it's a, a gentle analgesic. So if you've hurt your back um, and you have to, you know, uh, relax and try to um, 
calm it down. Uh, drinking chamomile tea is going to moisten that and help to relax and reduce those tight muscles. Um, it's also also very good as a skin wash. So if you have an herbal tea, you don't have to drink it. You can sometimes put it on skin irritations, itches or scratches or sunburn in particular. So uh, that would be a good one uh, for that. Stomach remedies uh, are, there's an entire family of stomach remedies, and that would be the umbiliferae, the dill, caraway, anise, coriander uh, seeds, uh, fennel seeds. Um, if you think about sausage, uh, very often sausage has fennel seeds in it. Um, and that's because sausage is kind of a fatty meat with all sorts of indigestible things in it, even though it tastes good. Um, and the fennel helps you to digest that. Um, so caraway seeds were often put in uh, rye bread because it used to be a much denser bread and it was sometimes hard to digest and the caraway seeds would ease that. So that entire family uh, is very good for anything from indigestion, gas, bloating, diarrhea, uh, inflamed gut, any of that kind of thing. Um, and coriander seed in particular is being uh, utilized for people who have um, um, uh, the really serious like Crohn's disease and um, ulcerative colitis and so forth to help soothe that. Um, turmeric also um, as tablets or as capsules is also being used to heal gut inflammation as well as arthritis. Um, so, you know, adding learning to add those things to your food uh, can help make them more palatable, but it can also help to, um, you know, ease any conditions that you might have. And I remember also, um, I was lucky enough to uh, be gifted by one of your uh, sprays, the lavender spray and so forth. Those Getting that into the air is such a wonderful, calming thing. Yes, and lavender... Um that is a plant that will grow. If you have a nice sunny window, it doesn't require a lot of moisture. Lavender um, is a nice plant that you could grow in your house and you would get, because the entire plant has that scent. Um, it was said to be uh, the favorite scent of Josephine, Napoleon Bonaparte's wife, um, and she helped to proliferate uh, lavender throughout France at the time as one of her um, one of her uh, duties as as. Um, whatever the equivalent of first lady was for her. Mm -hmm. um, but, but lavender uh, is calming and you can buy lavender essential oil and put it in a spray with distilled water to, to scent the air. It's one of the very few essential oils you can put directly on the skin. So it's very good for insect bites. Um, on Staten Island, we had a lot of mosquitoes and um, sometimes I would get bit four or five times and um, um, uh, just a little drop of the lavender essential oil would stop the itch and take down the swelling um, of those pesky critters. So there, it's useful for an awful lot of things. It's also very cleansing. Um, it was discovered women who used to wash their clothes back in ancient times um, in the waters of creeks and, and rivers noticed that their clothes were cleaner in certain areas. And very often it was where lavender was growing wild and was dropping its petals or its leaves into the water supply. And so lavandula uh, in Latin means to cleanse. So uh, it cleanses the air, it kills bacteria, it kills funguses. Um, so it's really good for that. Um, I, when I travel, I carry it with me um, and sometimes wipe down surfaces in a hotel or if I'm mm. staying in a campus or something like that, because um, you never know. And nowadays, 
I think we're much more careful about keeping things clean. So there's another one that you could kind of consider um, a cleansing agent. Mm-hmm. Okay, going in a, a little bit of a different direction. Um, I know uh, you're retired now, but um, when you taught, you introduced a course on um, gardening and literature, something to that effect. And that was such a unique idea. And I think fascinating for the students. Um, can you just talk a little bit about educating the students on um on planting and um, the benefits of herbs and so forth and how that's been received and, and what do you see as a future for this? Um, at, at the moment, the, the interest in gardening skyrocketed this year uh, in 2020, and I think it will continue for the next several years um, as we you know, go through uh, the pandemic and the isolation and, and begin to think about um, what we want in our gardens, edible landscapes and so forth. Um, I had introduced um, uh, uh, nature writing, um, an int- a course in nature writing, mm-hmm. and that encompassed pretty much everything from water to plants to gardens, um, to traveling and how we trek, you know, through the wilderness and all sorts of things. And student, it, 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 um, I was surprised, at the, to be honest, at the popularity of it. We offer two sections of it every semester, uh, every single, uh, for about 15 to 20 years that I taught it. Um, and students loved it. I took them out um, outside about a third of the classes. We would take walks, we would meditate, we would go look at specific trees or um, the little uh, forest on campus. We would do a number of different things and they had to keep their own nature journals um, as well as do the research paper on endangered species and that sort of thing. And um, it was more hands-on than 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 a typical English class, and they really enjoyed um, the contact and getting to know through their senses, uh, as well as research, what was out there. Um, this is a, a tree um, in New Jersey uh, called the sweet gum tree that leaves uh, little pods with holes and points on it. Everyone calls them itchy balls. Um, and we often looked at them and described them and they had new respect for them. Um, they're not just something that fall into our pools or something we have to rake out of the grass all the time. So we had a lot of fun with that. Um, it, it guide me with the question again where I'm supposed to be going with this, Shirley. Where do you see the future of education in, uh, uh, in nature? I, I think that, um, that there's a rise in interest in nature, um, in food preparation, um, uh, and in uh, brewing uh, of all sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, Hops was the Herb of the Year, uh, a book I edited a couple of years ago. And um, Community colleges and other colleges all around the country are starting to have classes and majors in becoming brewmasters or starting, um, uh, you know, growing the hops, having greenhouses and, um, you know, how would you brew them and and use them? And hops are used 95 percent in the brewing industry, but 5 percent for medicine. And they're also used for calming and relaxing and sleep issues and gut issues and so forth. So I I see um, what I foresee is that there's going to be a renewed interest in gardens, in um, 
parks uh, and adding um, more places for us to walk and commune with nature. Um, all the national parks, the state parks, um, everybody's local parks have really been um, quite crowded almost with people um, with masks and walking to get out of their houses and to go back to nature. Nature is very calming and healing too uh, in its own way. And um, we need the exercise when we're stuck inside. So a brisk walk in a local park, um, riding your bike in the local park or feeding the ducks at your local park. I think there's a lot of, of interest in, in that as well. And even uh, over the years that I taught this at Middlesex College, um, students were in their own short lives were able to to document, you know, how um, the expansion of highways or new shopping centers took down uh, places they had played in in fields or in, in woods when they were children, you know, and, and I think there's going to be a backlash at some point against, you know, that kind of expansion where we have to say, look, we need some nature here and what can we do about it? Sure. And so accessible and free. So it's a great thing. Um, so one more question, Gert, and I don't know if you have an answer for this one, but how many plants or and flowers and herbs would you say you have in your home today? Oh, in my home? Oh, dear. Dried or fresh? <laughs> <laughs> All. <laughs> I, I have um, I have about 15 house plants um, and um, Three of them are bay trees. Um, some of them are scented geraniums and um, lemon verbena. Um, some of them uh, are uh, in various degrees of, of um, you know, happiness and or not. Um, I also, because I, I am an herbalist and I grow so many gardens and things here, I also have uh, several baskets filled with dried herbs from St. John's wort to echinacea to bee balm and minarda, as well as, you know, the ones you've heard of, um, rosemary and thyme and, uh, and sage. So, um, and then um, I've learned over the years to make medicine. So I have lots of shelves full of potions and dried herbs at the ready, you know, for that sort of thing. So I have a house full of plants, yes. And we have a new puppy and I've had to put them out of his reach, you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, uh, you know, this, this has been just fascinating, Gert. Um, and I've just gotten, um, I'm still in awe of uh, all that you know about this subject. And I'm, you're giving me a lot of inspiration here for uh, the coming days of spring. So um, I want to thank you so much uh, for speaking with me today. And I wish you many, many more happy flower filled days to come. Thank you very much. And back at you too, Shirley. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Extraordinary People. To learn more about Shirley Wachtel and to subscribe to the show, head to ShirleyWachtel.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Extraordinary People. Extraordinary People.